Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Russ Terry, founder and CEO of Life Coach Radio Network. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash Coach Radio. That's audibletrial.com slash Life Coach Radio. And now, here's today's show. Good afternoon. This is Divya Parekh, your today's host with Beyond Confidence for Success radio talk show. And today, I am very excited to invite our special guest, Alicia Ramsey. So a little bit about Alicia Ramsey. She served as a captain in the U.S. Army with two combat tours to Iraq and one in Bosnia. She carried a camera and tripod along with her M16. I can't even imagine that. Telling stories of soldiers in the battlefield. She was awarded the Top 40 Under 40 Award in 2012 and the Business and Professional Women's Young Careerist Award. Ramsey is CEO of Tell Your Vision Studios, and that is based in North Carolina. It's a video production firm that creates video marketing campaigns for Fortune 500 companies. In 2014, Ramsey expanded Tell Your Vision Studios to include unscripted reality television programming and online content with a purpose focusing on three areas, entertaining, educating, and engaging their audiences. I am Divya Parekh, right here with you today. I am a global leadership and business relationship coach, speaker, and author. I had the DP Coaching Group, which helps business owners, leaders, achievers, coaching you to uncover your hidden motivators that allow you to achieve your personal, professional, and financial goals with laser focus and unstoppable confidence. I'm also co-author of an international number one Amazon best-selling book, The Voyage to Your Vision. And I've also authored books on topics like emotional intelligence, critical thinking, leadership and influence. So without further ado, I'm going to invite Alicia to share her story how she went from Alicia. So share with my audience, how did you go from carrying M16 and coming to the stop of being an entrepreneur? Wow. Well, thank you so much, first of all, for having me on your show. Um, I'm super stoked to be here right now. Um, you know, my journey, obviously, being in the military, um, even that in itself, um, I don't always take the front door to following my passion and my dreams. Sometimes opportunities knock and tap me on the shoulder and I listen. And um, the military was definitely one of those instances. So um, to understand how I went from, I guess, military to entrepreneur, you have to kind of understand how I went even from civilian to military in the first place. Um, that that quick story, I, I'm, here I am in college, junior college, paying my way through school. I'm driving home from school uh, one day, and I hear on the radio, 
be a broadcast journalist in the Army National Guard. It was a radio advertisement. I mean, that's literally what did it. Um, <laughs> but if you fast, if you fast forward years before that, when I was eight years old, a little girl, um, many of us can remember when we saw Oprah Winfrey on TV for the first time. Um, when I saw her on the TV for the first time, like she was doing what I could see myself doing in my life. I just instantly instinctively, intuitively knew that I was called to help raise the voices of other people. Um, she was a chat show host, but so much more than that, um, an inspiration and, and really just candidly and authentically used herself to help promote the lives of other people and tell their stories. So I knew from then, um, didn't know I would join the Army to do that, to help people tell their stories. Um, became a journalist and broadcaster in the Army and then became an officer um, so after nearly 10-year career in the military, telling people's stories and leading teams, um, it was, you know, the itch and the scratch. I needed to scratch my itch, if you will, as far as entrepreneurship. Because even as a kid, even though I wanted to be a broadcast journalist, I also, in my DNA, think I was born to be an entrepreneur. Um, I think people kind of, kind of instinctively know if they have sort of that risk-taking, um, leadership qualities about them that, you know, entrepreneurship might be something I'd want to do. And so when I was nearing my, my time in the military where I wanted to leave as a captain, I was getting out, I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to um, start my own, my own business. Um, but to be completely honest with you, um, you know, when you get out of the military, you go from a family and a culture where, you know, you're housing and you have healthcare and you have money coming in to support yourself and, and everything like that. And so, and then you're working, I was working 12 hour shifts, you know, in the military being deployed in Iraq just before I got out. So when I got home, the very first thing I was, I was recruited. Um, I went to a recruiter and I started looking for work. Um, it was very hard. The idea of me going from a very structured organization, very regimented timeline and very um, long hours to Fort Living Room, um, it's a tough transition. Oh, and by the way, you leave your tribe, right? You leave your people. Then you're not surrounded by your people mm. anymore. It can feel very isolated. It can feel very mm -hmm. lonely. And so what most people do is like what I did, which is I got found a recruiter who helps military get a job, a J-O-B. Um, I was fortunate enough to serve as an officer, so I got another officer-like job in the civilian world. I was a team leader of, like, 65 employees at a winery um, on a production floor filling millions of cases of wine every day. Can you imagine? So I literally oh. went to do that 12 hours a day. Um, wow. And so here's what happened. I'll tell you, man, this was a gut-wrenching moment. So... I'm working there, 12-hour shifts. I'm commuting an hour each way back to and from work. So it's like a 14-hour day, five or six days a week. I felt like I was swiping my life away every time I swiped my badge into work. And I was driving home on an hour-long commute. I was 30 minutes in, and it hit me in my gut, and I had this conversation with myself. And I said, self, why are you here on the planet? And you know when you have that conversation with yourself, like you've got you've to listen, first of all, to that, and then you've got to do something about it because um, that's not good. <laughs> you know, you've got to change something in your life. And, and that's literally where I transitioned to entrepreneurship.
Mm. <laughs> ah, wow. Yeah. So what I did was I um, I told the job I wasn't going back. Literally, I mean, I didn't go back. Um, I sat on the living room sofa um, of, on my couch. I collected um, unemployment um, check in the mail. Um, I threw a dart on the map, and literally when I was living in California at the time, I decided to go uproot myself and move to North Carolina. Um, I didn't know <laughs> anybody there. Um, my two friends who in the Army who told me how great it was, um, they had moved away just before I landed. Um, oh, no. So I'm in California. I know. Never started a business before. Don't have any family who started businesses. Don't have an MBA, just a bachelor's degree in broadcast journalism, and no job and didn't know anybody. And I decided I was going to start a business. I didn't even know what a networking group was, but I just knew that I was going to start a business. And so I sat on my sofa and started figuring things out from there. It's a crazy story. I know. I don't. I don't recommend like going in it totally unplanned like I did. But I can tell you that um, it wasn't easy. But I think, you know, being an entrepreneur, there are some skill sets that just you as an individual, as a person, must have in order to make it. And one of those things is you have to have confidence, self belief. Number one. Um, number two, you have to understand what your skill sets are that you're already good at, you know, things you already like and do and have done for a while because you don't want to go and start a business that you have no idea about because that's just another entire hurdle to climb. And as a new business owner, like, that's just not that's not the best bet. Um, and, and then you have to be driven. You have to be self-motivated. You can't, you can't have um, thin skin. You know, you have to be able to... Um, also have self-awareness, you know, and you have to be able to um, like people. And finally, I mean, really like people because you're going to hire a team. You're going to find people to sell your idea to, pitch your idea to. If you don't like people, a business owner is not the best bet for you. And then finally, um, you have to be able to speak in front of people. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people underestimate is that to get people on your side, you can be an introvert and be a great entrepreneur as long as you can have communications with people and speak in front of people and get people to your cause. So all of those things, you know, I have those things, I think, um, and of course I work on them every day, but I have those things in me and um, entrepreneurship was just, just the way to go and not the easiest, but that was the way I had to go. Absolutely. And you were determined and you went for your dream and now you're a very successful entrepreneur. I wouldn't so say that very successful. <laughs> I'd say I'd say I'm working towards that very word, but I, I do consider what I've done a success so far. You know, I mean, um I sat on my living room couch, I started acquiring used video equipment. I knew how to do one thing real well and I had a lot of experience in telling people stories. So the reason why my job at the winery didn't work out was because I wasn't pursuing my life's goal, my life's mission, my vision in my life since I was a little girl to raise people up and tell their stories. You know, I was filling bottles of wine, and that that wasn't getting it. So as scary and risky as all that was, I'd rather try and fail at living my dream than continue to fill wine, you know, and drown out someone else's. I, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. So... Um, yeah, so, I mean, success is like, like, you know, we talked about when we first met, it's like, 
what is success to you? I'd say, you know, as I'm starting an entire new venture, a new TV show, I mean, success is really, do you wake up each day and have the freedom, first of all, to choose what you want to do in your life, have your bills um, paid for, a roof over your head, and then and be able to wake up and literally pursue your dream every day? That's what I have right now, and that's pretty much it. And so that is a success, you know? Definitely. So I'm really excited to have you on the show, Alicia, and what a great introduction. Let's look at your story and share with the audience how did you move from one phase to another and what difficulties you faced. So let's go back to the time when you were in the car, when you were in college, and you're driving down, you hear this advertisement on the radio, what made you decide to go for it? Um, I've always been a person of faith, um, not a super religious person, but just I had this intuitive faith. And I listen when my gut tells me to do something. I'm open to things to come at me that I never expected. Um, my circumstances were I was going to junior college. I had to pay my way through school. I was working two jobs at the time and interning at a news station, which I hated. I knew I would never choose to work at a news station. It was negative. It was fires and murders, and I hated it. And so how do you then realize that your dream, which you thought was your dream, which was to tell people stories and the route that Oprah went, she became a news broadcaster, a news anchor, and I realized at 18, 19 years old that that was hell. So now that dream went away. So how do I continue to pursue to tell people stories, pay my way through now university because I would have to transition. I didn't have money for that. And um, I sort of feel like that radio advertisement was almost like a call from God saying, here's your answer. And I know as key as that sounds, sometimes life or I say God taps you in a way that you just, it's unexpected, unplanned. I don't have any family in the military. I don't live in a state that has a lot of military. I wasn't in an area specifically. I'm around farmers and farm fields in California. The last thing people do is join the Army. But that was just a gut. That was a gut instinct. And it told me exactly my next movement. You know, so as soon as I heard it, I was like, what, what are the positives and what are the negatives? Positives. I go down, I have an answer to me being me wanting to travel the world. I have an answer to me being able to pay for my education. I have an answer for them to send me to go to school to do the very thing I desire most in this life, which is to tell people's stories. I get to serve my country. I get to wear a uniform and say I serve my country. I get to get physically fit. So I did this pro and con analysis. The cons? I mean, my short my list was short, you know. Yeah, you're in the military, it's going to be tough. Yeah, you can't do any push-ups yet, but you'll be able to. And so um, I went home and started telling everyone I was joining the Army and um, made sure the recruiters put journalist and broadcaster on my form, so that was my job. And um, the decision really just was a gut one first, and then I just I just added up the pros of going and then the cons of not doing it, and, and it really it was heavily stacked in favor of doing it, you know. Mm. First of all, thank you for serving our country because I think so. There's not enough gratitude that can go around for our servicemen and servicewomen 
who keep our nation strong and who keep our nation safe and free. So please accept my thanks. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it means a lot. And I, I think I get a lot more thanks today than, like, Vietnam veterans have received in their lifetime. So just as you thank me, I, I tell the listeners to be sure to, when you hear someone served in, you don't hear as many stories of World War II because um, they're the aging population, but when you meet a Vietnam vet, the the thing that I always love to do is to thank them because they're the thankless ones, and they and they deserve it today just as much as they did 30, 40 years ago, so, um, or even more now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, thank you. Oh, absolutely, I agree. Because you are putting your lives online, and there's a whole lot more involved. As you said, it's just not structure. It is discipline. Even though you're getting fit, it is, removing people from their original environment and putting into a completely new environment where ambiguity is the name of the game throughout the day. Right. You don't know what happened next, especially if you are touring outside the country. So let me move our conversation towards that direction. Share that once you transition into the Army, how did your journey move forward as you were training, and if you can share a couple of stories, what yeah, you took was, away from and what you learned, that would be awesome. Yeah, so when I when I joined the Army, I had no family members, so I was a, it was an entire new world. I mean, we're talking entire new world. Um, one of my philosophies in life is um, to say yes and then figure it out later. And when I say yes, what I mean by yes is, like, all my chips are forward, like, on the table. Like, I invest all of me. I put all of my passion and all of my heart and all of my energy, desires, goals. Everything is at the utmost. My chips are so far forward on that table, they're almost falling off the other side. That's how I describe it. And so I said yes to the Army, so I wasn't going to go in and – and be a slacker. I wasn't going to go in and try this. I was going to go in and I was going to be the best and do the very best I could. And I literally remember we had to do a three push-up test even to get physically to get even to the next round to be in the and to go to basic training. I barely could do three push-ups. I'm talking. I don't even know how I made it. Now I can do close hand push-ups. I mean, I'm gotten really strong, but back then I I couldn't. So it was complete life change. My my day started. At O Dark 30 now, my um, world was turned upside down. I'm in the fields. I'm in uniforms that I've never worn before. I'm um, carrying a weapon and just doing, learning how to, you know, fire your weapon and learning how to do all these tactical moves and defense moves and bayonets and all this crazy stuff. So I went to basic training um, for Jackson, South Carolina. Um, I actually turned 21 in basic training, which is uh, I don't recommend that to anyone. Um, and then whilst I'm in basic training, if you can imagine, my mother um, has cancer. Okay, so now now you just add something to it. So it's already tough, right? It's already tough. You're away from your family. Now you're away from your mom, your best friend, who's a single parent, who has cancer, okay, and is, is like, really bad. Like, it was ovarian cancer, so it was, like, really, really, really bad. And the doctors accidentally cut 
her during exploratory surgery. So then they nearly almost killed her. So then she had, yeah. So uh, here oh, I am in this training going through all this stuff. So that was tough. But, you know, it, like I said with anything, um, I just have faith and belief. And as soon as I got out of basic training, I was able to go see my mom in the hospital um, and be with her. Um, and my mom's a fighter, too. She's really strong. That's where I get it. And um, and so I got through basic training. You know, I graduated. I made sure I was one of the fastest runners as much as I could. Back then, I wasn't even that fast. Um, but I just tried to make my mom proud. You know, I just tried to make her proud of what I was doing. Um, as soon as I got back from visiting her in the hospital, I went off to Defense Information School in Maryland for three months to be a journalist. As soon as I left that, they sent me back to school to go to broadcast school. I got to be dual qualified for three more months. Um, then I came home to be in the National Guard because I was just a reservist at the time, saw my mom again. And then um, I got orders to go to Bosnia. My unit was deploying to Bosnia for an entire year. So I'm a brand-new soldier just getting to my unit, and now we're deploying for a year to Bosnia. And this was in 99-2000. So this is just after ah. the Dayton Peace Accords were signed. So this is just as the turn of the war, like all the killing and um and genocide and all that it had just ended and things are, we're trying to keep the peace there. So it was a peacekeeping operation. And my mom was excited for me to go. I was, she was scared, but excited. I mean, I remember seeing her cry and my aunt was there as I left. And, um, but as a 21 year old, uh, female with an amazing job title, can you imagine here? I didn't want to be a news anchor at a news station, but now I get to tell soldiers stories. I have my own truck, which is a Humvee, with my name on the front, Specialist Ramsey at the time. I get to drive around. <laughs> no, I get to drive around North Carolina. I get to drive around Bosnia Herzegovina, literally Reuters, AP, all these press people in my back seat that I'm responsible for protecting them. We drive them out to the stories. My interpreter gets out. I get out. I get out with my camera and tripod and M16. And they get out with theirs. My interpreter helps me film my own stories about what we're doing over there. And then the media mm. is filming their stories about what's going on over there. I mean, I'm living it up. I'm interviewing the secretary, former Secretary of Defense, William Cohen, on a Good Morning America broadcast from Bosnia. Like, are you kidding me? I'm doing stuff that I would never have been able to do had I not gone that military route. They put me in opportunities. I mean, I interviewed the Supreme, former Supreme Allied Commander of Europe, Wesley Clark. All these people met General Shelton, um, met presidents of countries, ambassadors to every country. Um, I get to meet these people, hang out with these amazing people in this world, and serve my country at the same time. Not to mention celebrities with USO shows would come in, and I got to film them. I mean, so my military time... As tough as it was and hard as it was, we actually made a huge difference in Bosnia. I got to tell those stories, um, help the soldiers' morale by telling their stories, and um, help the people at home realize what we're doing over there. So it, I'm telling you, some people complain about their military journey. Mine, especially enlisted, was amazing. Um, it was an amazing experience. Hmm. Sounds like it. Wow. And... Let's go back. You know, you have mentioned faith a couple of times, and in today's day and age, we tend to question it. However, that's one of the things that we as human beings need to learn to respect is whether it's our intuition or whether it's faith in universal consciousness or God as we see it, 
it does not matter. It is what an individual does, what an individual respects, and it's about respecting another human being and letting them have their faith. I personally oh, do absolutely. believe. Yes, definitely. And the thing is that I also believe in universal intelligence because what are we talking about love? When we talk about Mother Teresa, when you talk about Pope Francis, or for that matter, whenever you talk about any leader in the world, whether it's Mahatma Gandhi or Martin Luther King, what they saw was love in people, seeing that other yeah. people have the same life force as you, and that connectivity and that love is faith. And believing in that faith, and I love what you said, that it's not alone the faith. You had the intuition tell you, as you were getting ready to go to the army, you laid out your chips on the table. You looked at pros and cons. So you combined the faith with the rationality of making an informed decision and giving it a great effort, giving your best yeah. as you went into the military. So it's just not that, okay, I am just heading into something blindfoldedly. You made a great decision, and it's about showing up how you were showing up every single day, even though you were having so many obstacles and challenges going through it. So please do share How's your mom doing now? Oh, well, I don't want to upset your listeners, but my mom fought cancer. She had cancer seven times over 15 oh, no. years. Yeah, but she was a fighter, like I said. Um, she was amazing. She was my best friend. She passed away 10 years ago. Um, just as I was getting out, actually, as a captain, the reason why I got out of the Army, one of the reasons was because my mom was dying. Um, and as soon as I got left Bosnia, or as soon as I left Iraq, or uh, my mom passed away just like two weeks shy of me showing up there. Um, that's the reason I got out and went back to California. That's kind of why I made the move as well to North Carolina. I just kind of wanted to start fresh, if that makes sense. Like my my best friend wasn't there anymore, and, and so, um, and then the job wasn't fulfilling my life. So yeah. But, you know, my mom's in heaven now because, I, as I mentioned to you, I respect and love all faith, all beliefs. Um, but mine is I believe in God and I believe in heaven, and so I believe she's there looking down for me and she's with me and can see this journey that I'm on even today. And that that gives me just so much happiness in, in knowing that. But, yeah, um, yeah, fighting, having a parent die of a, of a disease, especially the C word, I like to say C word, um, it wasn't easy, but um, but she she got to see me do some amazing things, and she got to see me come home from two three three overseas theater deployments. So I definitely put her through it, poor thing. Um, but uh, she wouldn't have had any other way. You know, I have cards that she would send me that say, "I'm so proud of you." You know, it makes me cry. But um, as much as it's hard to be away from your parent or serve the country or be overseas, it's like. Um, you know, your your parents are there to let you be ultimately your own human being and your own person. And so she, she and I, we both wouldn't have had it any other way. You know, me, me on this journey, it's like that was the journey I was called to. That was the journey. Um, they did send me on a Red Cross mission, so I got to see her two months before she died. Um, so I left Iraq. So I don't want people to think I didn't get to see her. But I did get to see her one last time. Um, I didn't know it would be the last time, but definitely, yeah. So... 
the, so what you say to me, you know, what you, the way you organized my story is so true. I mean, you let these um, tapping moments happen to you. You have to be open that your life could take a drastic turn and then you be open to that opportunity. You know, I read, I'm reading Think and Grow Rich again for like the fifth time and I love that book because there's so many stories in it that parallel some of the instances I've had in my life where, um, you know, you a person is tapped, and you but you have a desire, and it's a burning desire, and the desire is so strong that um, it leads you into connectivity and opportunity. And the desire isn't one of a selfish nature. For me, it's like telling people stories, and my desire to live this dream of, of telling these stories and being a broadcaster. Um, it was so strong. That's just the way that the world worked in my favor to lead me to my destination where I am today. It's like the military radio announcement and then my decision-making to do it. But when you say, when I say all in, you, you hit it perfectly. It's like I'm so competitive on every level, but in a good way. I mean, I play checkers or dominoes and I want to win. So when I went in the military, it's like I don't want to get up in the morning and just be in the pack of runners. I want to be in the front right position of the runners or the front left position of the runners, the front left position of of the entire run group. And when I clean that KP kitchen floor after all the soldiers have eaten while I'm in basic training, I'm going to scrub that floor because I want that drill sergeant to know how hard I work. And, you know, when I'm and I'm doing, when I'm firing my weapon, like I don't want to just hit the target and qualify. Like I want the batch, you know, like that's, and that's really important. You know, as you go through this life, you only get one time at each age, right? You only get one one day, and then that day's gone. So why not put your best effort forward? Um, you can put expend as much energy and effort, you know, to not do something as to do something, I believe. And, and in the same token, the way you think, the way you, you know, your thoughts, you can expend just as much energy and belief and faith and, like, expectation in knowing things are going to change and be awesome for you in your future as you expend in the negative. And, in fact, I think it's almost sometimes um, it's harder in some respects, but it's easier to see your life in a brighter way than in a more negative way. And so um, that, I guess, would be the final piece of my my puzzle of my life is that um, I not only put all my effort in, but I see the win if that makes sense. Like I see myself um, dominating in running. I see myself getting that badge even before I get it. Like I'm just confident. It's not a naivety either. I mean, I'm just like um, I see myself as a broadcaster or having a talk show far before I ever have it. And I know that my desire and my passion and love for people and purpose for doing it is so much bigger than me, and it's so strong that I wake up every day wanting it so bad, and I already believe it's going to happen, that in ways I could not have designed everything, partnerships, money, funds to do my projects, um, collaboration, um, even as I built my video business. I have not marketed myself, like put out and paid for ads in eight years because Jobs come to me. People go, what do you mean jobs come to you? Yes. It's because of all these forces in this world working in my favor. And anyone can swing this world in their favor. Anyone can. 
First of all, I'm humbled by you opening yourself up, being so vulnerable. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for sharing the story with your mom because all of us go through that journey, especially as we reach the sandwich generation. And the time in our lives where we are at crossroads, where we want to be with our parents or loved ones, for that matter, it happens sometimes, and we have to make the choices and finding the balance in life. So thank you again for sharing that story and my heartfelt energy, warmth, and love to you for the loss that you have borne. It's never, you can never replace it, but I love the way you put it that, you know, you believe in heaven and you know that your mom's looking down upon you, being there with you, and being proud of you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I have to share something fun, though, because I have to leave the listeners on a light note. But um, So my mom was a fighter, and when I say that, I mean she, like, fought. Like, she wanted to live. Like, she did not want to go. And um, so so she would work at Costco, which kudos to Costco. I used to work at Costco when I was in college, too. But she used to work at Costco. She would work in the cafe. She would find out she had cancer for another umpteenth time. She would go through oh. rounds and rounds of chemo, which would knock her on her butt. But she had good health care because of Costco. Thank God for Costco. She'd lose all her hair. She'd be totally sick. And my mom was, like, never late to work, like, the best worker ever, like, just amazing woman. Soon as she would get done with chemotherapy, she would. And she put on makeup and a wig every day. So most people didn't even know she was sick. Like, this, this was the type of woman, never complained about being sick. She'd go right back to working at Costco. I mean, wow. It's so amazing. But what one funny thing about my mom is um, my mom and I, we love the, um, the Price is Right. And um, when I was 18, just before she found out she had cancer for the first time, um, and actually she, had, she got cancer um, when I was in basic training for the second time. That was the second time. When, she, when I was 13, she got cancer the first time. But we, we went to The Price is Right. She had just finished going through chemo, her treatments and everything. Her hair was growing back, and we went to The Price is Right. My mom was picked. Bob Barker said, Caroline Cupid, come on down. And my mom was on The Price is Right. She won. She got up on stage. She spun the wheel. She got a dollar twice, so she won $11,000. She went to, she was a pricing genius. She went onto the showcase showdown. She won the showcase showdown. She was only like $2,000 away or something. And she ended up winning the entire show. And at her memorial (laughs) service, instead of everyone being sad, Um, I had tulips out on every table because my mom is Dutch. Our family comes from Holland. And I literally played the game show, The Price is Right, and for everyone to see and just have happy memories of my mom's life. So that's fun. (laughs) That is wonderful because (laughs) it's, it's about happy memories and it's about the moments, the quality moments I I'm sure this phrase has been used several times before by other people, but what I call them is moments in time that get embedded in your memory and you can carry them with you for the rest of your lives. That's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I have clips I have clips of her spinning the wheel on my Facebook page. If anyone wants to go to videos on my Facebook page, you can watch my mom <laughs> spin the wheel. <laughs> No, I'll definitely visit your Facebook page and check it out. 
So that's one of the fun things. So let's uh, move back to your story. So you had been to Bosnia as well as Iraq, and you shared some story about Bosnia. What were your experiences in Iraq, and did you ever feel that why what was happening and how did you combat that? Because us as civilians, we go through trials and tribulations and by no means our trials and tribulations are less because the way I see it is that every individual, wherever they are, whatever place they are and whatever trouble they go through, it is intense to them. However, again, putting into different perspectives that then you're down. And as you mentioned before, that, you know, it's it's about creating that vision. It's not about being overconfident or anything like that. What you're doing is you're visualizing, and it has been found neuroscientifically that if you visualize, you will step into your success. However, as you are visualizing and as you're working towards your success, there are going to be obstacles and challenges, and they bring us down. So if you can share your story with your time in Iraq, only if it works for you, that how did you manage those challenges that will help us put things into perspective as to the challenges that we face day to day? Well, um, yeah, so I've had a lot of successes in, in my life, but I'm all I'm an, a very transparent and candid person. So the stuff you're going to hear right now is, um, I don't remember sharing this on any live media before, but I just, I, you know, I feel as much as I'm one of the biggest promoters of military, of veterans that I know on the planet, first and foremost. So the stuff that I'm going to share next is just, you know, the military, in essence, is is a people business as well. You know, you have great leaders, you have some not so good leaders, and you have experiences that maybe aren't as good. Um, when I first went to Iraq, it was a an amazing situation. I mean, a scenario I was put in. You, can you imagine? I'm I'm heading to Iraq. I'm meeting my platoon en route in Iraq. They're already in Iraq. I'm getting there at the, for the first time. I'm meeting my unit. The people that I'm going to lead, they're already heading to Iraq, okay? So anyway, long story short, um, we were going from um, desert location, signal location to desert location, working our way up to Bosnia. It was, I mean, working our, our way up to Baghdad. It was a crazy, a crazy situation. I had mission on my mind, mission and my mission was to keep my soldiers safe as we carefully set up tactical communications for the front lines and for the soldiers in Iraq and the leaders. Okay, so we did comms. We set up satellites and antennas so that they could have phones on the front line. They could have Internet and secret net, which is net, Internet and net. So that's what I did. I had 32 soldiers at the time. Um, I'm in Kuwait. I meet them in Kuwait, and I'm, my job is to drive them into Iraq. Okay, I, I don't read... Like, like I don't read Arabic. I didn't know the, the language very well. Um, they're putting you through these crash courses, showing you the route, what roads to take. Our GPS wasn't like, you can't ask Siri, like, how to get to Baghdad. Like, it, it wasn't like that. So it was kind of crazy. I'm in the front right truck. I'm the leader of a 50-truck convoy. It was a lot of trucks. I think it was, it might have been 40-something. It was a lot of trucks, okay? And when I say trucks, I mean, anything from huge deuce-and-a-half trucks to Humvees, and I'm leading them. I'm responsible for these all these people's lives, like heading to Iraq, into the unknown, because mm. at the beginning of the war, which is when I went, 
we didn't know what to expect. So we're in full chemical gear. We don't know if we're going to have nuclear, biological warfare happening on us. We don't know if enemies are going to come out from the woodwork. Like, we didn't know anything. So that was crazy. But but I had mission in mind. And, and I believed our mission was a good one because, you know, I I um I don't blindly go into situations, but I'm there to serve. I respect our commander-in-chief, and that's what I do. And my goal was, again, to keep the soldiers safe and establish communication. That's why I was there, and that's what I was going to do. So I, I successfully served, um, worked my way up to Baghdad. Now, my way into Baghdad was unique. Um, I'm serving. I'm a tactical signal officer. I'm in a tent working a 12-hour shift at night looking at the whole signal network we've established in Iraq. And I get a, my major walks in the door, and he's like, Lieutenant Ramsey? And I'm like, yes, sir. And he's like, you need to pack your beep up because you're heading out at dark 30. They're coming to get you. I'm like, yes, sir. Who, who's coming to get me? The colonel got wind of your former public affairs experience, and he wants you to head up and lead his public affairs operation in Baghdad at the, at the palace. I'm like, the palace? He's like, yes, yeah, Saddam's palace. I'm like, roger that, sir. So I literally packed up my little one-man tent and headed out with soldiers in a Humvee convoy who came to get me, and they took me up to Saddam's palace, and I met with the colonel, who then became later a two-star general, Smith, Jeffrey G. Smith, Colonel Smith, and um, I met with him, and he sat me down, and he's like, Lieutenant Ramsey, I need you to leave this, you know, signal public affairs operation, and this is the largest signal network in Army history, and I need you to tell the story of the soldiers and tell the story. And I'm like, yes, sir. I wrote down two pages of notes, and he's like, I was like, can you um, tell me who my, where my team is, sir? And he's like, you see that E6 staff sergeant out there? I'm like, yes, sir. And he's like, she's your team. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> where's my equipment? And he's like, well, you're going to have to order that. And I'm like, well, where's my – so I started finding soldiers and, and people in the field who could write and take pictures and be on the radio in America and do all these things. And um, so that mission that year went by really fast. Um, I'd say the second year, my second deployment, I had only gone home for not e- to Germany for not even nine months, and I knew I was already going right back to Iraq for another 12 months of my life. So that was hard, knowing that you're not going to see your family. You're not going to be able to have any vacations. You're, not, you're going to be working around the clock. You're going to be in a theater environment for another 12 months, just after you got back from 13 months. It was, it's, it's intense. And this one, I had a brand-new platoon, and I was going to be leading this platoon there. And I had a leader, like I explained to you, I'm not naming any names, but it was not a good situation. The leader in charge of me, the higher-ups loved this person, um, but the people beneath him, he held us down and really had it in for me, um, kind of picked on me and just d- didn't make my time pleasurable. And I knew I had to see this person every single day for the next 365 days, okay? And so when you're in a job, any job, civilian or military, it does not matter, but when you have somebody in charge of you who picks on you and bullies you and does not like you, and make sure life hard. Your job's already hard. When they make your job hard, and then um, when you do good things, and they take credit for it. So all these things were happening. Okay. So that aside, I'm not a big complainer, but um, I just had to struggle through it. And and the way I struggled through it and made my way through it is um, I did my job to the best of my ability. And then on top of that, I found ways to use my life and my vision to even make soldiers' lives better. And I'll give you an example. So you can trudge along in your life and do things, and you can do your job. And you can just stay in your lane and do your job 
and all is great. But um, Hurricane Katrina was going on during the second, um, my second deployment. And I would go into the chow hall, which is our eating facility, breakfast, lunch, and dinner in Iraq. And I would see the soldiers looking up at the TV monitors at New Orleans, and they would watch in awe as they could do nothing but sit and watch as their family members in these areas are underwater, okay, and, and fighting for their life, okay. And we could do nothing. And we're service men and women, so our thing, intent is to serve, and we can't, we're in Iraq. <laughs> so, so I thought, man, these poor people all around me are just feeling sick to their stomach because they can't do anything to help the people back at home, and here we are serving in Iraq. What can I do? So um, I literally thought, man, I'm going to organize a run, and people are like, a run, Alicia? We're in Iraq. I said, I know, but the base is huge, and we've got tons of security. We can make it happen. So I said, I'm going to call it, um, and one of my soldiers goes, what about the Big Easy Run? And I'm like, that's what we're going to call it. We're going to call it the Big Easy Run, and we're going to raise money. And then my other soldier was like, I, he's from the Philippines. He's like, my dad can get us shirts. I said, well, we're going to order shirts. So I went on Photoshop and created a shirt that New Orleans on the front, Big Easy Run, and on the back, pictures of a soldier in Iraq, and the American flag and everything, and then we went and sold shirts, breakfast, lunch, and dinner on our off times. When everyone was eating, we're out selling, and we charged 20 bucks to be in this run, and then you, 10 of it went to the American Red Cross to raise money for Hurricane Katrina victims, and then we ended up having over 1,000 people donate money. We raised over $13,000 um, for American Red Cross, and our run we had Mardi Gras beads shipped into Iraq, and we wore our shirts, and it was a beautiful morning. And my point in telling you all this isn't to praise me for putting an event together, but it's like how do you, in a situation that seems dire, and you have you know leadership and you're being picked on and your job is just getting you down, how do you, like, you know, be the best you in that situation? Like how do you overcome that? And my answer to that was find ways to continually use my life to bring value to other people's lives. Like that would make me happy. And that's, that's what got me through it. Mm, That's very profound. And that's something similar that's been in my purpose of life is making a difference and a positive impact to people. And whenever I meet. Yeah. So one of the values that I live by is I've got five to six different values. And one of the values is, serving and supporting others in even if it's one person at a time and if it's a simple even if it's a simple interaction if you're walking on the street give a smile to someone you can be kind by letting somebody in in the traffic when somebody's trying to make a left turn rather than pushing your foot on the gas pedal and zooming by and not letting that person in so it's even in small ways that we can make you're a difference right. in people's lives and what you shared is so true that regardless where you are, you are going to face uncertainties. And in your case, you didn't even know where it was going. At least for civilians, we have a modicum of certainties. So that brings back again a couple of things that I'm seeing that are resonating with me is being grateful as to what you have and having that purpose in your mind. And when you have the purpose and passion bring together at that intersection, you see the birth of performance because you have those two fuel and engine driving your car. And when you do that, 
you are performing at your best, even though you may have tons of hurdles and obstacles in your way. What a great story and inspiring story. Wow. Thank you, yeah. It's tough. I mean, gosh, when you have that situation, then I had another scenario where, um, you know, a soldier um, late one night somehow got some alcohol from international soldiers in Iraq and somehow, I guess, drank NyQuil, whatever. It was just a really bad situation, just a one-off crazy fluke situation. He's banging on my door at midnight, so it was like a harassment situation. Um, I literally had to call for the first sergeant yelling out of my window of my container to come grab this soldier and take his weapon. That that was a really rare and one-off incident, right, of a soldier who just was going through some stuff and made really bad decisions. And I was safe in the end, but it was crazy. But I'm just here to say that um, even through, you know, one, one leader who wasn't so good, I was in the Army for 10 years. I saw the most amazing leaders. I served with the most amazing soldiers. In 10 years, I saw one instance of a soldier do something really bad, right? In 10 years, I had one leader who just picked on me, okay? But even through that, you can get through it and say my experience was amazing. I wouldn't trade any of that, you know? And you have to focus on, like you said, the positive how can you add value to the situation? And if your mission and purpose is not about you but so much bigger than you, you will get assistance and aid in creating whatever it is you want, you know. And, and it obviously brings me joy to do that. Um, it's extra work sometimes, but when it makes you happy, like organizing that run did not feel like work at all to me. Um, so you can get, people can get through anything. I think that's what I learned in the military. Like if Alicia can like do close-handed push-ups, um, (laughs) you know, do all these crazy things I did in the army. Like if you had told me that years ago, I've been like, that's crazy. I don't have upper body strength. I can't do a pull-up. Like those things I, I realize now, like we can get through anything. Are you kidding me? Just put, put a, especially women, right? Put a woman through anything. Tell her she can't do it. Um, my favorite Bruno lies, Bruno Mars line in his song is, don't believe me, just watch. Don't believe me, just watch, because tell me you don't believe me, and then just watch. Like, that's um, that's the other thing I think that gets me through it. It's like um, I even turn that into a positive situation. Don't believe me, just watch. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, yeah, and the key thing that I'm sure, Alicia, you have also found that, that it's okay to go down. It's about not how many number of times you fall down. It's about that one extra time you get back up again and not give up on things. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've had examples of that recently, too, but I don't know how much you want me to share. I know our time's getting close, but, oh, my gosh. Um, oh, gosh, I don't know where the hour has flown by. And let's uh, bring, and maybe I will have you back again to finish the story for the journey through the entrepreneurship. So when you came back to the civilian life and now you are in this realm of desire to tell stories and getting into the life of an entrepreneur, as you were getting into it, you did share 
several different things that would help entrepreneurs move forward in their lives, especially taking actions. One of the key things that really resonated with me was that you looked at the skills that you had brought from your previous experiences. How did you take those skills and transfer to entrepreneurship? Um, yeah, the the biggest thing is I wasn't going to become a real estate agent, right? I mean, I was going to use what I already knew, what I already was trained in. And a lot of times we go and get trained in or do things we actually like. So I actually love to film and do videos. So that's what I translated that into. I happened to luck out. I mean, I think in, in life sometimes there is a little bit of like serendipitous, like, natural stuff that happens. I fell into a time when online video was brand new. Um, and I knew one thing, people may not want family videos done by me, but businesses needed videos done by me. And it's continually gotten more and more and more and more important to the point that if you don't have a video on your website, like it's hurting your business, especially a good one. Um, so, so I, I happen to look out there, but what I can tell you is, um, you know, whether you're military or not, you know, when you become an entrepreneur, there's a difference between gifts and talents and skills. You've got to look at your skill set and what you're actually able to do, but then you've got to start adding up your gifts as well and what you're able to do. And then um, there are so many um, things you can do before you full-fledged decide to become an entrepreneur um, and test it out. So, um I think the biggest thing, though, and this goes right back to what we were just talking about, you have if your mission isn't just to sell like a witchamahoozie or isn't just to create an X, Y, and Z, but if your intent and purpose is so strong and your desire is so strong, and, oh, by the way, it helps people and is much bigger than you, like your reason for doing it isn't just to become a billionaire. Your reason to do it is because it's going to do this or impact people in this way or make a difference with moms. or it's, And if that desire is so strong, I'd say follow that track with it. But if it doesn't, if, like, you don't even know what you do or maybe you'll try this, like, really wait until you get that burning desired one. You know what I mean? Because, or try something part-time, you know, or turn a passion in hobby into a part-time money-making thing. But don't do a full-fledged entrepreneurial, like, jump. Because the only time you should jump is when the burning desire and intent is bigger than you and stronger than you, that you can't sleep at night, and you know it's going to help impact people. And the, the next thing I'd do, if I were starting all over again, is I'd go find the number one person in the world doing it, number two person in the world doing it, number three person in the world doing it, and I'd find all those people and I'd start reaching out locally to the multi-multi-millionaire business owners who are doing it, who are awesome and faith-based or, or just super light-filled and amazing, and I'd ask to interview them. I'd get a podcast created or something, or I'd ask them, I'd say, um, what can I do to intern for you? Can I come spend four weeks with you? Um I'd do it even if I was out of college. I'd be like, I don't care about internship. The word internship means nothing to me. I want to come shadow you. I want to come support you. And I'd learn everything I could from someone who's done it and who's doing it and who's made a lot of money and a lot of success doing it. And I'd surround myself with those people. And that is how mm. you build an amazing entrepreneur career from the beginning. You just go to the top. Don't go to the bottom. Don't around yourself with just 
startup people who are struggling and having, you need to go right to the top and not see yourself in the position you are today, but in the position you want to be. And the best way to see yourself in the position you want to be is to be near the very people who are where you want to be. Mm-hmm. I definitely second that, that it's about visualizing where you want to be because if you don't know where you're going to go, you cannot map out the direction or chart the course. And Can also, I tell you a quick story? Can I tell you a quick story because I know we're running out of time? This happened no, we can, we can go over time. No worries. Oh, go for it. This happened to me um, like two months ago, okay? Well, six months now when I started it. I literally was nobody. I mean, as far as the world of television, like production companies, I am a nobody. Like nobody knows I even exist, okay, because I do videos for companies. And even then, I'm on such a small scale, nobody knows me. But I knew that I was going to take my new pilot of this new show I created and I was going to be, I was going to go to the number one production company at this event, and they were going to know my name, and they were going to offer me a contract to partner <laughs> with them for my show. Like this, no, this was my goal. Seriously, I'm like not even making this up. They did not know who I was. So what did I do? I went online. I found out the event that the CEO of this multi, multi, multi-million dollar enterprise and operation, and I found out he was, he's one of the chairmen of this event. And this is an event where you pitch your show. Perfect. All the networks are going to be there. Awesome. Great. I didn't want to meet any – I didn't care if I got in front of a network because my goal was to partner with him. He was going to love me. He was going to love my show. I didn't have my sizzle done, which is your demo reel. I did not have my my treatment done, my write-up about my show. I All I had was a business card, my mouth, and showing up at this – it cost $3,000 to go to this four-day event, okay? But I knew he was going to be there. I found out he had a session, meet the mentor session. Forty people could get in of 1,200, but if you signed up at 10 o'clock on this day, you could get in. Of course, I'm there at 10 o'clock. I get one of the 40 spots. I go to this event. Nobody knows me. I sit in the front row of his session. When he finishes, and he's got a, I can't tell you who he is, but he's got one of the number one shows that's been running for like nearly 10 years on the Discovery Network and on History Channel, okay? So this guy is, like, at the top. In fact, he sold part of his company because of this one TV show for nearly $200 million, just part of his company. Anyway, long story short, he got he finished his speech in front of everybody. I walked up. I said, hi, my name is Alicia Ramsey. I am your next blue-collar historian TV show. It's called Flea Market Junkies. I want to book a meeting with you. That's what you do at these events. You book meetings. He didn't know me from Adam. I had no team with me. It was just me. He goes, he goes nice to meet you. Uh, if you send me an email to my assistant, uh, we'll get back with you and see if I have time to meet with you today. I was like, awesome. I emailed him before I even walked 10 steps away from him. Okay, I had an email to his assistant. His assistant gets back with me. Well, this guy's busy, but we're sending two other people, our head of new development, to meet with you. Would you believe it was the same darn girl that I had ran into at the elevator when I first showed up at that hotel, which was out of 1,200 people, the very one person that I interviewed on the inter-event registry, I emailed her because I found out, guess where she's from? Raleigh, North Carolina, where I live. (laughs) She used to, before work for him, worked for Trailblazer Studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I said, oh, my gosh. She comes out. She sits with me. This is the person he sends to sit with me. Talk about serendipitous. Okay. Fast forward through. She gets my sizzle. She's waiting for my treatment. 
I finally finished that. Come to find out, she quit that job. Okay, she quit working for him. I'm almost closing the door on my project in partnership, and she leaves. I pursue it anyway. I don't give up. So within six months' time, guess what happens? That company, the number one production company in America, offered me a contract for my show. Mm, Congratulations. Thank you. Well, guess what? Then I turned them down (laughs) because I found I used that as a pawn to get another production company because they weren't as passionate. They they were good, I thought, but they weren't as passionate as this other another amazing production company. So I ended up partnering with another company, and now it's on the History Channel desk. Long story short, um, crap, go to the top. I hope that story doesn't like have you say good job, Alicia. It has you say holy crap, like this girl knew nobody, had no connections, could barely afford a ticket to go to this event, went without a demo, went without a write-up, just had the intention and goal and knew it was going to happen that that one company, which was the number one company, was going to partner with her. And that, and if that's not thinking grow rich, I mean, I'm not rich yet, but but I'm thinking I'm growing. So, <laughs> uh, Here's uh, what I would say. It's not a if, it's when. It's only a matter exactly. of time because exactly. you have already taken the vision that you have and laid it out there and you're putting the actions towards it and that's the key, taking the actions. And one of the key things that I would second is that reaching out to people who are where you want to be. So, for example, yeah, that's it. I have a business coach who is very knowledgeable and who has done all of the things that I want to do. So am I going to learn from someone who has not done it or am I going to learn from someone who's already done there and lived it and sustaining the success? So that is so, so important right. to surround yourself, as you said, with people who are positive, who are visionaries and like-minded people who have similar values to you because, my dear friends, energy and time are the two most valuable resources that I've found in my experience are the key to any success. What's your thought on it? You just said it. No, you just said it. It's the energy. So um, one of the things, the reason, so you, you look at that story I just told you and you go, she knew no one. She had nothing in her hand. I had no paper in my hand to show them pictures of the people in my show I had no video reel to show them what my show was it was my power of thought my passion my energy that I transmitted when I met with these people it was vibrating so high and so strong and so enthusiastic and so my belief is so strong that this isn't going to be a show this is a show like there's a difference between that that mm-hmm. and action you took the action just not believing and thinking so think about it if you believed in it and you thought about it and you stayed at home this would not have happened yeah so you have to power and, up yeah. the beliefs and thoughts with action yeah and you can't let your current circumstance get in your way you can't let the current current amount of um, numbers in your bank account get in your way you can't let your lack of experience get in your way. You can't let your past and things that have happened to you get in your way. You can't let the way you've been brought up and raised and 
get in your way. You can't let other people's opinions and words, powerful, hurtful, harmful, um, negative words get in your way. You can't let anything that exists outside of your positive mental belief and passion, you can't let any of it stand in your way. You can't let any of it stand in your way. And even then, you can't stand in your own way. You know, I mean, I was looking at the cost of that event going, oh, my gosh, how am I going to pay for it? I don't know. I registered anyway. And it just so happened just before it was time to pay it, I didn't even ask. Um, A person really close to me was like, I want to help you pay for that. I'm like, I'm sorry? (laughs) Like, I want to help you pay for that event. I know you really need to be there. And I know you you may or may not have the funds. I don't really care how much you have. I just, I want to help you with that. Like, I can't even make that up. Like, that really happened. That really happened. And then they were like, oh, by the way, we're gonna, I'm going to pay for your hotel room there, too, because I know that's expensive. Like, that was paid for me. I, can, I cannot make this stuff up. Like, that is, I say God, but, again, that's just, isn't that amazing? Like, don't let even your money in your bank account get in your way. Like, you can do it. You can do it. And, and you know, um. If I would have called, so so when I started this interview, I said I always take the back door as side door. I'm going to tell you how in this circumstance I took the side door or back door. Most people, mm-hmm. when they have a TV show, they will pick up the phone and they they do this. They're they're going to call call this big production company on the phone or send an email. Okay, they're gonna they're gonna have all this passion on the telephone. They're never going to talk to the head honcho. Never. You will never, ever, ever, never get because he's got his secretary and then the secretary will forward you to his assistant if you're lucky and the assistant can block you all day long and stay busy and we don't accept outside solicitation but events events are where you're going to meet these million dollar entrepreneurs events are where it's at and causes benefits right now the mm-hmm. careful difference is i was in an event where pitches were welcome at a not-for-profit event that they're supporting, pitches aren't welcome there. You, you don't go to those events. You go to those events to meet people and to serve and support and be of value. But you don't go there to pitch, and there's a difference. But you go to events. That's like that's the number one thing. So that, to me, is a side door because anyone can buy entrance and admittance into that side door and go face-to-face with the very person I want to meet because nothing can replace the energy transmitted between two people in close contact no telephone can do that. No, like, chat on Skype can do that. And But a face-to-face, it can feel right. Am I right? Like, do you believe that too? Oh, absolutely. And the thing is, wherever you are, it's about taking that action and reaching out to the decision makers. Because if you are not in touch with decision makers, the road is long and it takes forever to get where you want to go. And that, again, brings back to us is that, you know, how, whether you're interested or invested in yourself. So I always say if you're interested, it's like buying, it's like renting an apartment. Whereas if you're interested, it's about purchasing a home. And when you purchase a home, see how much care you put in, how much efforts and time and energy and resources you put in the house, even though you know it's going to take you a long time to own it. But it's the commitment that you have made to yourself. It goes back the same thing, that if you are invested in yourself, you will take the actions, you will do what it takes to do 
to move forward. And that does not mean that you'll not face failures. You will face failures, but it is part of the game. It's part of the it learning. In the, yeah. In Think and Grow Rich, they say that um, always the success is almost like a silver lining of a near failure. And where most people would have ended on the failure, they were just like three feet shy of that success. They didn't even know it. And I had three of those happen to me, even building my, my reality show. The very first near failure, I needed money to pay a videographer to even go with me to film this thing in Texas for the first time. I needed about ten grand. I'm on the phone getting my hair cut at my hairdresser's. I'm on the phone with a potential investor who has a lot of money in Texas. I ask him for 10000 He wants a crazy return. I say, I can't do that. I'm sorry. And I, we hang up the phone. My hairdresser, I kid you not, so, so I'm bugged out. I'm like, okay, there goes my, my financial backing. My hairdresser goes, well, how much do you need? Okay. <laughs> I go, well, I was asking him for 10000 but I, could, I think I could do this whole week for five grand, all in. She goes, I'll help you. I'll invest in you. I'm like, are you serious? Okay, that was the first one. Now, I created an amazing return for her. And when we sell our show to history very soon, she's going to make a lot of money off of that, which I'm so excited because her goal is to use the house analogy. She wants to buy a house. So um, so then my second near failure, okay? So I'm, cre- I'm trying to finish up my sizzle and my treatment. And the event's coming up. And I nearly, I, I don't finish it. I don't finish it. I take my computer with me to the event with the intent at night. I'm going to edit and finish my sizzle. Okay. I was a month away from visiting, finishing that thing. But I was just like determined, like, oh, my God, they got to see something. They got to see how good these people are. I <laughs> could have said I'm not going to the event. I have nothing to show these people. I felt like such a failure, man. I, I can't tell you how bad I felt like a failure. I I was a failure. I had months to complete this. I didn't finish it. I'm a failure. I didn't even do my treatment. I didn't do enough planning, but I didn't let it stop me. I went anyway, and that is the thing. You've got to go anyway. Don't let your current circumstance. Do you know what a blessing it was that I did not finish my sizzle, my promo demo at the time? Because now this past year, this past January, when it was shown at, at that same event to all the networks, they were seeing it for the first time. It was not a repeat show that they'd already seen cut up a different way. How, what a blessing is it that I didn't go around and show everybody my show. If I'd have shown everybody, then it would have been old news. But no, it was shown brand new to this network. And I think, so what a blessing. So even the things that seemed like complete and utter failures, I always felt like such a failure for not finishing the sizzle. What a blessing it was I didn't do it. And the third near failure was when I um, got all the way up the food chain, had all the connection I needed to make my show happen, to get this partnership with the number one production company in America, and then she quit working there. Like, she quit. So it's that. I could have said, screw it. I'm not meant to do this. Um, It's not going to happen for me. Um, Give up. Like, I've done all this work, and now it's not there. And I said, you know what? I am not going to give up. And so I started over. I started with the girl who was there. And I said, you know, and I started working from there. So anyway, I had a lot of failures. But those failures led me to where I am today, you know. Mm. Definitely. This is what it is that we have all experiences. It is about keeping on learning from it, undoing the learning that you already have, and relearning from it and keep on growing and keeping on moving forward. So, Alicia, before we close out, 
the show, you mentioned that you do videos for the companies. If somebody wanted to have their video done through you, what's the best way of them reaching you? Yeah, so um, so my clients are typically companies, um, big and established companies um, who really want a new way to promote their business. Um, and so um, they can go on the website, tellyourvision.com, and then they can definitely check out, and I'm sure you can put the link on your page to that. Um, I'm really looking for people to come visit me at amraleigh.com. That's A, M as in Mary, raleigh.com. That's my new TV show coming out. Um, we can feature businesses and have guests on that show. It's a new TV talk show. Um, so that's really what I'd love to promote. Um, I do appreciate you even sharing this information, but if anyone wants to reach out to me, info at amraleigh.com. If you have guest ideas for our show or you want to um, talk more, if I can help you in any way, I'm certainly here to help um, anyone. Um, my assistant reads all my emails and um, and we get back to you so uh, they don't go unanswered. And um, I'm A.M. Raleigh on Facebook. Um, that's how they get hold of me. No, wonderful. And could you also please share your website's web address? Yeah, so uh, it's tellyourvision.com, and it's tell, T-E-L-L, U-R, and the word vision, V-I-S-I-O-N, tellyourvision.com, and amraleigh.com. Mm, wonderful. And again, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been an honor and privilege to have you on the show, Alicia. Especially, I would like to thank you again for all the services that you have done for our country. And I would like, like to take this moment to acknowledge and thank you our, all our servicemen and servicewomen who put their lives on the line for us. Thank you, everyone. And again, thanks, Alicia, for sharing your heartfelt stories and being so open to my listeners. Thank you. Hey, I have one more thing before we end. Um, for all those veterans listening or military listening, um, I thank you for your service. And if you're interested in entrepreneurship, you can go to Bunker Labs, B-U-N-K-E-R, Labs, L-A-B-S, R-D-U, dot com, or just BunkerLabs.org. Either one, Bunker Labs, and we created entrepreneurial services, free services even, to get you on your way to entrepreneurship. Um, so if you're a veteran or military service member. Oh, woo that's awesome. That's yeah, a great Bunker, Labs, Bunker Labs is amazing. I'm in the Bunker Lab in RDU. Bunker Labs are all across America. Um, and BunkerLabs.org is definitely the place to go. Wonderful. No, great, great resource. And thank you again for being on the show, Alicia. Oh, it's such an honor. You're a doll. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, listeners, for joining us for such a great show. And on behalf of my listeners, I thank you again, Alicia. And until we meet next time, dear listeners, be powerful and step out of your comfort zone and go for your dreams. Take care and bye for now. Bye-bye.